Today we're talking ethics and education, looking at questions like, should teachers retain a struggling student if it means she will or he will most certainly drop out? Should an assignment plan favor middle class families if it means strengthening the school system for all? These are everyday dilemmas, and we're here with HGSE professor Mira Levinson, co-editor of the book, Dilemmas of Educational Ethics, here to help educators think through the ethical issues at stake. Welcome, Professor Levinson. Thank you so much, Matt. So before we jump into your book, I want you to set the stage for us sort of as a philosopher with what is the broader understanding of how we define ethics as it relates to the educational environment? Wow, that's a tough one. So in some ways, what I would say is we don't have a commonly accepted or available understanding of ethics as it relates to the educational environment. We have really terrific very broad brush or very abstract theories of ethics, right? You know, you may have heard of utilitarianism uh, or, say, rights-oriented theories connected with Kant. Uh, there is a resurgence of interest in virtue ethics. Those are really broad theories that uh, think about, in part, how things would work in the ideal world rather than, you know, here on the ground today. And they also tend not to speak to what to do in a very specific case. There's also a lot of work that's been done on uh, teacher ethics, on ethics, you know, in, in education, practice and policy. But it tends to be um, more focused on specific questions and not general. We don't really have a good mid-range theory of ed educational ethics. I think that's why this book, uh, your new book, Dilemmas of Educational Ethics, kind of fits that mid-range role, I think. You look at six case studies, there's six responses, and I'm curious how you narrow down all of the broader questions that people have, ethics, school testing, and cheating, and honor code, all of the things that just an average person would associate with ethics and education. How do you narrow it down to six, and what's the process of narrowing it down and picking those six for your book? That's a great question. So I should say that actually we have a case study of cheating, just not in the book. Uh, I have somebody who's actually working on a case study about honor codes. I mean, we have now, I, I would say, over 15 or 20 case studies that didn't make it into the book, and it's not because we don't think they're good. In fact, we're talk talking about various sequels already, <laughs> even before the book is officially out. I th the six that we chose, so they address um, a struggling student and whether or not to socially promote her, uh, a disruptive student with a mental illness, a third grader, uh, and how to deal with her disruptions in the classroom, uh, questions of grade inflation uh, at an independent Jewish day school. Um, we have a case about uh, a student, a high school student in a zero tolerance school who uh, seems to have stolen his teacher's cell phone and whether or not she's going to report him. Uh, we have a case about uh, Boston Public Schools' uh, home-based school assignment plan uh, and how it creates sort of baskets of school opportunities uh, for families. And then also a case that compares a charter school and its attrition and graduation rates and academic test scores and so forth with uh, the district that it's located in to think about um, how we sort of assess them against each other. And I would say these are not, you know, the most important six cases. They are not the only six cases you need, but they seemed to, uh, my co-editor Jacob Fay and me, 
to traverse a lot of important ground uh, in educational ethics, moving from the classroom to the school, to the district, and even the state level. Uh, one of our commentators, actually, about the charter school case is uh, Patricia Jalen, who is a Massachusetts state legislator uh, who is developing policy about this very question and has voted on uh, legislation surrounding it. Uh, and so they sort of expand in scope and they address a lot of different issues in both educational practice and policy. You talk about the commentators. I think the structure of the book's really unique because it presents the case and then there's a different commentator for each case, right? So Where there's six different commentators for each case. Yeah, so I, I wanted to clarify there are, yes, for each case there are six commentators. So we, yeah, we have 36 commentators total. And, and the, the range of people, some of the names that you guys got for the books are really Really impressive. You want to share? Sure. Yeah. I know we were incredibly excited. Um, so uh, among the so we sort of grouped uh, commentators into three different groups. We have philosophers, we have empirical researchers, and we have educational policymakers and practitioners. And in each group, we got just amazing people. So say in our uh, philosophical camp. Uh, we have Elizabeth Anderson, Tommy Shelby, Harry Brighouse, Larry Blum, really top philosophers uh, and philosophers of education. Among uh, empirical researchers, we have Mary Patillo, uh, Howard Gardner, Pedro Naguera. Um, and among um, our policymakers and practitioners, as I mentioned, we have uh, state legislator or uh, Patricia Jalen, Melissa Aguirre, who's an amazing educator in New York, uh, Toby Romer, who worked in the Boston Public Schools for many years and now is a deputy superintendent in Newton, uh, Andres Alonzo, former uh, superintendent of Baltimore. So yeah, we just could not be more excited about the group of people we have commentating. And what's really nice about this book is that people, I mean, when they're listening to this podcast now, they can they can finish up the podcast, buy the book, and then put the book into action the next day, really. I mean, talk about your target audience, who this book is for, who you're hoping reads it. Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. So uh, in ways we hope everybody will read it, right? Um, but there are a few ways we see people putting uh, this book into action, as you describe it. One is that we've designed the book both to model a conversation, right? So the cases themselves are fairly short, uh, about five pages, and each of the commentaries is also so at least from an academic perspective, quite short. Um, and so it means that in about an hour, you can read and think about a case and read all six of the commentaries and sort of walk into a conversation about an important dilemma of educational ethics yourself. But also it means that with this model and with these prompts, you can launch such conversations with others. If you are a parent, you can actually uh, talk about a case with uh, other members of the PTA, or you could have conversations with teachers and administrators, high school students themselves, or college students. Uh, we also picture these cases and commentaries being used, say, in uh, pre-service and in-service teacher um, classes, in public policy classes, in philosophy courses, um, in sociology courses. Uh, in you know foundations of education courses and in fact uh, I should probably shouldn't admit this on air but some is dot copies of the book have been in fact circulating and have been used in all of those courses and settings and we've had teachers spontaneously take some of the cases to their faculty meetings and lead a faculty discussion about them which has been great 
Well, just kind of final thoughts. What is your own personal uh, thoughts on just the state of ethics within education right now? Are, are we in a good spot? Is, is our schools, our teachers, our students, are we more ethical than we've ever been? Are we less, less ethical? Are we in a good spot? Are we growing? Are there enough resources in place to make us better citizens within education? Just your own musings. Gee, I won't purport to make any longitudinal claims. Okay. Uh, what I will say is that I think we're in a promising spot insofar as ethical language surrounds us, right? People are making claims uh, in public all the time about education and social justice, about education as the civil rights issue of our time, et cetera, uh, about uh, goals of equality or equity. And so in that respect, we are very open to seeing education as an ethical venture. However, on the flip side, Oftentimes that language is used to castigate and demonize the other, right? So uh, when um, you have, you know, you'll have, say, in debates between the pro and the anti-charter folks, you know, that one side is captured by the teachers unions, you know, apologists for the status quo, or the other side is captured by neoliberal uh, privatization fantasies of, you know, bringing the markets into education. Um, and you know neither side actually is willing to recognize and admit that the other side has deep ethical commitments at heart. And that's, I think, what we're trying to do uh, in this book as much as anything, is to help uh, all people who are engaged in education in this country, as parents, as students, as teachers, as principals, as district leaders, et cetera, uh, you know, charter network leaders, et cetera, to realize that um, Dilemmas of educational ethics concern us all in our a conversation that we should be having across lines of dis difference. Be a good citizen. Go by the book Dilemmas of Educational Ethics, co-edited by Mira Levinson and Jacob Fay. Mira, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. This was great. The book is available at hepg.org, Dilemmas of Educational Ethics. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.